Welcome to the podcast. Tonight I have Don Milne, founder of Stories Behind the Stars with me. And we're going through old stories, or I guess they're not that old, but stories that he found during his research for his blog, uh, World War II Fallen 100. And Don, you want to tell us a story that you found? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing these stories because I think it's kind of interesting the kind of stuff that uh, people can find as they join the project now that it's not just on some obscure blog and I usually had like an hour of time on my lunch break to put these together and so I'm hoping that some of these stories I'm sharing we actually don't have a version yet saved for the stories behind the stars project so I, I just want to share it because I think they're kind of interesting and it'd be nice to have someone to flesh this story out and and make it more complete but also uh, sharing this as a way to, to let people know if you were to start with a name, you'd be surprised what you would find and you might end up finding a story just like this one. So, so I'd like to share a story of Clarence A. Aberg. And his last name is spelled A-A-B-E-R-G. So he's born on April 26 of 1918 in North Dakota. His parents were both born in Minnesota. His father's name was Carl, and his mom's name was Anna. And he was from Norwegian stock. Three of his grandparents came from Norway. His uh, dad worked as a farmer. So he happened to have an older half-brother. He also had an older sister and two younger brothers and a younger sister. So one of these uh, farm families that uh, had uh, more than just a couple of kids. Uh, by 1940, Clarence had completed four years of high school, and he was working as a farm laborer there while living at home in, in uh, North Dakota. Now he joined the Army Air Forces about a month before Pearl Harbor after he'd been to college for a year. So he obviously had some interest in, in flying planes even before the war started. He ended up becoming a second lieutenant and a B-17 pilot. And the unit he was with was the 711th Bombardment Squadron, which is part of the 447th Bombardment Group. And it ended up being sent to uh, Rattlesden, England in November of 1943. So even though the unit was there in 43, he joined at some later time as a replacement. Um, in February, uh, actually on February 25th of 1944, his uh, bomber, which was nicknamed Rosemary Three, was on uh, his third mission and they had the, the target of bombing an aircraft plant in Regensburg, Germany. So third mission out, he's the pilot, uh, B-17 named Rosemary Three. They do make an excess, a successful bomb drop, but 10 minutes after that, the number three engine stopped working. Could have been from flak damage that didn't uh, initially knock it out, but on the, the way back, um, the... Uh, Flack caused the uh, engine number three to stop working. So he got as far as the English Channel on three engines, but there was more German flak on the uh, French coast because it was their one last chance to shoot at the bombers. They had knocked out two more engines. So B-17 has four engines and it can fly on three engines. It can fly on two engines. It can stay in the air on one engine, but not at the same altitude. So he has to cross the English Channel on one engine knowing that he's continually going to be dropping in altitude as he's going across the uh, channel. The English had ships in the channel 
to rescue uh, flyers if they ended up having to jump into the channel. But the bomb, bomber crews didn't like doing that because although they had crews, uh, Navy crews that were there to rescue them, it wasn't 100% deal. They much preferred to get to the coast of England before they parachuted out. So they decided as a crew, we're going to try to get to England as, as far as we can on, on one engine, and then we'll jump there. So they did make it to the English coast, and all of his men were able to jump out safely over land. Um, unfortunately, he was the last one to jump because he was flying the plane. And by that time, the plane was too low, and the chute didn't have time to open completely. So he was killed as a result. So because of that, he was posthumously awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross. And his uh, grave now is in Cambridge, at the Cambridge American Cemetery and Memorial in Cotton, England. And I, I write these stories, and I used to write it on the 100th anniversary of uh, when these people were born. So I would have written that one on, 20, on April 24th of 2018. And, and people sometimes say, yeah, well, what's the chance that these guys would have lived to be in 100 anyway. Well, it just so happens that uh, his older brother lived to be 101. So in this case, there's a pretty good chance that Claren Aberg could have lived to be 100 years old. And in his particular case, he didn't make it back. But by staying at the controls of his airplane until he was able to get across the Atlantic over to England, nine other men were able to jump out of that plane and they all made it back. And I bet you a lot of them ended up getting married and have families and they have descendants and they probably have this Clarence A. Aberg to thank for it. So I thought that was just an amazing story about the difference one person can make and probably gave up almost 80 more years of his life from that action that he took. It's kind of interesting. I recently read um, a uh, American Crisis paper number one by Thomas Paine, and in there he talks about the summer soldier and the and the and the sunshine patriot. You know, it's like the famous line. You know, these are the time that tries men's souls, and he talks a lot about how, in order to be successful, you have to have men who are willing to pay that price and not be that summer soldier or that sunshine patriot. And it, it's kind of just, as we read these stories and hear more of these stories, just proves to me over and over again, like these men weren't summer soldiers. Like they were people who were willing to get through the hard times in the winters. And, and like, and then one of the things like Thomas Paine says is um, this present winter is worth an age if rightly employed. And it made me think about like this man's life is, was, you know, he gave it, he gave his life for those nine other men. And it literally was worth an age. Like you don't know how many hundreds of people are alive because of this one man's choices, right? Because how many of those men went on, got married, had kids, and then their kids had kids and their kids had kids. Right. So it's like, you know, it makes me think a lot about, my grandmother who has, I think like close to 200 descendants. And one of her main motivations for doing that was her brother was killed in world war II and not wanting, you know, 
his memory to be lost and also not wanting her children to experience the loneliness that she experienced losing her closest friend to, to, to war. Right. So it's like, uh, it's just interesting to think about these individual choices that have such huge impact on, on every, on lives that are still around today. Yeah, exactly. And, and one thing that I think will eventually come of this project is um, we're able right now, our focus is on the 400,000 who died in World War II, but eventually you're not limited to only writing about these 400,000, probably the other nine people from his, uh, plane that probably passed on by this point. There could be maybe one or two of them still alive, but they probably passed on. There's no reason why people couldn't write their stories too. And there's actually a way from the uh, partners that we're working with together, we serve, for instance, that as long as they've been in that same unit, the 7-Eleven um, bombardment squad, if, if they've been in that same unit, we'll be able to link up that they serve together and you could find people that were related to other people on that that served together on that crew and, and people may be able to get in communication that from different families, descendants from the same people in the crew, because we now have that ability here in the 21st century with, with linking things together and social media and such to find stuff like that. So I think this is the right way to do it, to honor our fallen is, to have this common database where we're going to save all these stories. We just need more help to get them all done. Um, it's great that we have hundreds and hundreds of people writing stories right now, but the way the math works is we have 400,000 stories. We want to get these done by the 80th anniversary of the end of World War II, which was September 2nd of 2025 will be the 80th anniversary. We're going to need about 2000 people averaging one story a week. So asking people to give up that one night of Netflix to spend a couple hours researching. And we don't expect everyone to be doing this for four straight years. Um, some people do it for a while, then they'll go on and do something else. But as long as we can reach that level of having that many people consistently writing one story a week, we're going to be able to get this done. And I think what's happened at least so far, we get a lot of volunteers they're not doing one story a week, they're doing one story a day because they feel passionate that we need to have these taken care of. So I'm, I'm confident that this will be uh, done. It'll just be easier with more people involved. And, and I think as more people start being interested and looking into it and realizing it doesn't cost them anything except their time, and we have all the training material to show them how to do it, and we're not asking them to become professional researchers, if they can write an obituary, that's basically all we are asking them to do. Then they're going to say, this is just another way to honor these people. I, mean, I can buy some flowers and take them to a gravesite, and those will look nice for a few days. And then the, the staff at the cemetery will eventually end up throwing them away. Or I can spend some time writing a story about this person, and that story lasts forever. Yeah, I really love how you know is you point out how the volunteers feel this fulfillment and this you know they're doing something to honor their progenitors but i also want to point out like i feel like they're doing something for their posterity too because 
like as as I go through these stories and I and I hear these stories from different you know researchers and I read them I I've been sharing them with my children and um it was interesting we were having discussion about something and I was talking about oh yeah we're talking about the 4th of July because it was the 4th of July just a couple weeks ago and they're asking like the skies were just lit up with fireworks. It was crazy. And all the kids were like, ah, what's going on? You know? And, and they were asking like, why do we do this? And so we were having the discussion and, and my little six-year-old, she's like, Oh, so we celebrate what uncle Myron did for us to keep Hitler from trying to kill people who looked like me. Cause she, I, I was trying to explain to her what Hitler was doing, you know, and he was, you know, attack, you know, killing people who had darker skin color and eyes or who were Jewish. And that's something that, she could relate to right and so and 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 so i told until so she's like oh my gosh my eyes are my eyes are brown like i would have been killed like like well you they were killing jews but kind of that idea you know and so you know she she's like so we we light off these fireworks in in memory of our country in memory of what you know uncle myron did so that i would be safe you know and so it's interesting because i feel like as i you know tell these stories to my children I think as twofold, it helps them instill like a love of, of patriotism, a love of, of America. And second of all, like it gives them an identity of who they are. And one thing that I love about telling these stories is that um, the, the plague, in my opinion, of the 21st century is going to be mental health. Like you can see there's so many things hurting our children mentally with their health. And, and this proven that if you know who you are, where you're coming, where you're from, and and you know your story of your generations before you, it gives you an emotional resilience to get through a lot of hard things, right? Like if you can think back about, yeah, but my 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 progenitors did this and I can do hard things too. It's like it's proven that children who have that sense of identity do so much better in life. And so I feel like as a researcher, you are giving back to our forefathers. But you're, and those who gave so much in World War II, but you're also helping your your grandchildren, your children to have a foundation to stand on in life when things get hard because they can go back and be like, oh my gosh, like my great uncle survived through the Great Depression, went on to fight in World War II and died. And then his family kept going and they kept going strong and they kept going and they got through hard things. And so can I. So I don't know, I, I just had that in, insight as you were talking about volunteers and the things that happen as you volunteer yeah and i think in, in our case um being america as opposed to most other countries like if you're if you're trying to do this in england or mexico or japan almost most of these countries have a, a much more common ancestry than the united states and we're just so very diverse from countries from mostly all over europe but also other countries south america and Asia and America, we're not a country from our origin as far as our progenitors. We're a country because of our ideas. And the ideas are built around freedom. And so we don't have to be related to these people that served in World War II to recognize them as heroes and to have some uh, affinity with them. We have an affinity with them because we're Americans and they're Americans. This is what Americans do to keep um, America free for generation to generation. 
Yeah, just going back to that the story you told about that pilot, this is what Americans do. You know. We've got to remember in his story we said three of his three of his grandparents were from Norway. So they they weren't Americans very long, but he ended up joining to serve his country. Yeah. Well, we, I also wanted to say, you know, on this podcast, uh, thanks to all of our volunteers who are working on this project with us. They're really phenomenal. And we're so appreciative of them. And it's just really fun to get to know them. I know um, one of our volunteers said, you know, you, you, you get a family. You think that you're writing stories of men who've fallen, but in reality, you're, you're building a family around you of, of like-minded individuals who love freedom. <laughs> and so... We're very grateful for those who volunteer and uh, invite you if you're at all interested in volunteering uh, to check out our website, storiesbehindthestars.org, and um, click volunteer.